I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in and enjoy. Kelly Lester, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Kelly, I'm so glad you came to my podcast because the topic you are talking about at your speaking engagements is a uh, pro pro love mm-hmm. and pro life and abortions. Mm-hmm. And this topic is very close to my heart. And Kelly, I would love to ask you a first question to start off with the question. What do you think happens to the soul of aborted child? Oh, well, that's a really good question. Can I answer your question with a story? Yes. Okay. Yes, please. So um, back, uh, gosh, it's been before I was married. So it's been like 16, 17 years ago. I had a dog who was, when I was going through my life and going through a lot of my trauma, he was like, you know, he was like my child. It was before I was married. It was before I had kids and he was my everything. And I was in like abusive relationships and he was there. Um, and he was really, really, really special to me. When I came home, um, moved back home with my parents after some domestic violence things and, and all, nearly being killed in a domestic violence um, incident, he moved back with me. And there was a point where he wanted to go outside to go to the bathroom. And we were out in the middle of nowhere in the country. And so I just let him go out and he never ran off. He always stayed close to the house, but there were some hunting dogs off in the distance. And so he went out to chase the hunting dogs. When he did, he ran out in the road and he was hit by a car and he died instantly. Now he was a huge pit bull. He was like 120 pounds. This giant dog wrecked the car because they hit him. And he died instantly. And I went out, you know, my dog's out there dead. And I, um, it was one of the hardest losses I've had to, up to that point that I'd had to have. And that night went to bed and the next morning, you know, was brokenhearted, didn't have my dog. And my dad tells me about a dream he had had the night before Mm -hmm. the night that night. And I was like, all right. And so he tells me, and now my dad did not know anything about my story or my past. He tells me that in the dream, he saw my dog, which his name was D.O.G. He saw D.O.G. running in a field of flowers. And in that field of flowers, there were four children running and playing with him in the field of flowers. Well, my father did not know this, but I had had four abortions. And so I took that to mean that my dog and my four children were in heaven together. So I don't know for sure where they go, but that is 
what I think. That's what I hope to think. That's where I hope they go. Um, and I think my dad, you know, his dream summed that up pretty well for me. So all dogs do go to heaven, just like the movie said. <laughs> and, I, and I think children do too. Well, I'm getting emotional just from thinking uh, about dogs and children passing away. Because yeah. I, I, when I left my parents' house at, at the age of 21, Mm-hmm. when my sexual abuse stopped i got a dog pomeranian mm-hmm. and he became um, my baby my child yeah. and he helped me to to get through this situation mentally and <laughs> physically mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise i wouldn't survive without him and it looks like you are very close to your father mm-hmm. and it wasn't the only dream he saw <laughs> to save you. Yeah. Kelly, would you share this story with us when when your father's dream literally was a turning point for you? Yeah. So right before that, um, I was living in New Orleans um, with a boyfriend and it was a really volatile relationship. We had been fighting. Um, we lived here in Virginia and it was a very, you know, abusive relationship. We fought all the time and He moved down to New Orleans to help rebuild. This was right after Hurricane Katrina. So all of New Orleans was wiped out. He went down to do construction to help rebuild. And I stayed here in Virginia um, and then decided that I was going to come down there with him. And when I was down there, it was really hard because I was not from there. And at that time, the people of New Orleans really only wanted to hire people from that area. And Mm -hmm. so I wasn't from there. So I was having a hard time finding a job. And, you know, you change locations to try to leave your problems, but they oftentimes go with you to the new location. And that certainly happened with us. And so the relationship stayed very violent, you know, a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs. And we decided that the relationship was not going where we wanted it to. It just wasn't working out. And so that I was going to come home. And so then we just went out to party the night before I was supposed to leave and got into a fight, which we usually did when we went out drinking and partying. And he came home. And then a couple hours later, I came home and and the fight intensified even more. And there was a point in the fight where we had ripped the door off the hinges. And there was a two by four, which was the frame of the door laying on the ground. And he's leaning over top of me and he picks up the board and he goes to hit me over the head with it. And as he's going to hit me over the head with it, he drops the board punches me in the face several times, blood goes everywhere. You know, my eyes explode, my nose explodes. Um, And he looks and he's like, oh gosh, you know, I've actually really hurt her. And so the fight stopped. Well, the next day I wake up and I have text messages and phone calls from my father in Virginia, 1200 miles away. And I didn't answer them because, you know, your dad is the last person you want to talk to after an evening like that. And I waited another 24 hours to drive home. So I drive home uh, with a U-Haul with all my stuff and I get to Virginia and my dad meets me and he comes out. Now, mind you, I have two big black swollen eyes. My nose is flat and crooked and he's, he looks at me and as soon as he sees me, he starts crying. I'm like, oh, dad, I was in a car accident. You know, the things that we say when we're in those situations. And, and he looks at me and he says, Kelly, two nights ago, I was asleep and in the middle of the night, I was woken by, by God. And when he woke me up, 
I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. And so I didn't tell him this, but I knew that at the moment when my boyfriend had dropped that board, that was the moment when my father had began to pray for me mm-hmm. uh, and saved and saved literally saved my life. And then several weeks later was when he had the vision about the dog. So yeah, my dad definitely influenced me in all of those things. But how did you feel when he told you about his dream? Like what, what clicked in you that you really realized enough is enough. Well, you know, it's funny, Anna, because up until that point, like my dad, my dad heard from God all the time. And so a lot of times I didn't want to talk to my dad because I was afraid he would know what I was doing. And so when that happened, it didn't surprise me necessarily, but I had had up to that point, I had had several supernatural encounters. I had one in Arizona where I was driving a Jeep Wrangler and pulled out into traffic, like, you know, into like a median to take a left-hand turn. And as I did, a car hit me and I physically went out of the vehicle. Something grabbed me and physically brought me back into the vehicle. And the two other people that were in the car with me said they felt something hold on to them and keep them from going out of the vehicle. None of us were wearing our seatbelts. None of us were thrown out of the car. Several years after that, I was driving a car. I got, somebody came, I swerved, went into an embankment. Now this was before airbags or the car that I was driving didn't have airbags. And as I hit the embankment, I felt this warmth, like an airbag, but it wasn't an airbag, come around me and save me. So I had had encounters like that you know, up until this point, but this was the first time that somebody else was involved in it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, well, that was a freaky thing that happened. It was like somebody 1200 miles away was warned about what I was happening and intervened. So it really made it real. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I could be like, oh, that was, that was my imagination or that was like just a freak accident. You know, it was like, this is real. And it freaks me out. Quite honestly, it freaks me out a little bit that, you know, that that happened and to realize how close I was to dying. And I'd had many, I mean, I'd had many instances in my life before that where it was like, if I don't change something now, I'm going to die. But that one was like, you know, this was, I was supernaturally saved through my dad's prayers. So yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy for sure. I believe that God had a much bigger plans for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> to apparently. Talk about <laughs> yeah, apparently. Kelly, but how everything started for you? Because uh, the daughter of the priest, mm-hmm. And having such a heavy childhood and history. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people will will have this picture, you know, growing up in a priest family, you, you, you would think you would be a, a good girl. Mm-hmm. What, what's happened? Why 
Yeah, well, you know, it started at a very young age. Um, I didn't realize it till later on when I went through some healing and some some trauma processing. But I later found out that when I was probably four years old, Mm -hmm. um, I was molested um, by somebody in my family. Um, And then so that caused some things, you know, not in my, you know, not my dad or my mom, but like an extended family. Um, And that caused some things in me, some insecurities, some shame, you know, that awakened things in me that should not have been awakened as a four-year-old child. So did you, um, did you speak up? Sorry for interrupting. Did you speak up? Did people? I did not at that time. I did when I found out about it and the person mm-hmm. had passed away, which part of the way that I found out about it was um, in a session, like in a therapy session, I saw the person with a, a white wife beater you know, a white tank top and gray polyester pants. And I knew who it was. Mm -hmm. And several weeks before that, that person had passed away and I had gone to their funeral and I was weeping and weeping and weeping. Like it was somebody very close to me. And this person was not close to me. It was just someone I knew. Um, And then it was like the, the points got put together and I realized that what I was weeping for was my innocence that that person had taken. Um, and I asked my parents about it. I talked to my dad again, my dad and said, Hey, you know, I feel like this might've happened. And he told me that when my sister and I were young children, my mom worked for a while outside of the home and they put me at that person's house. They had a daycare mm-hmm. an in-home daycare and there were allegations of abuse. And so because of that, they pulled us out, not realizing that something had happened. But that being said, there were very marked, there was very marked change in my behavior from like a three-year-old, four-year-old to a four-year-old, five-year-old. I went from being very outgoing, very talkative, very secure to very not talkative, very mm-hmm. insecure, you know, like telltale mm-hmm. things that my parents just didn't pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that started it. Um, and then um, at 12, 13-ish, um, I went to a party and was, you know, just, well, first off, in elementary school, middle school, I was picked on, I was teased, I was bullied, like in the worst possible ways. Um, so that added to feeling insecure, you know. What was you bullying for? I have no idea. To be totally honest with you, I have no idea. I mean, they would make fun of my clothes. They would make fun of my hair. They would make fun of my shoes. I can remember one kid making fun of my dad's name. His name was Wayne. And they would like make fun of it. So it was just anything. But it was like nonstop. You know, Mm -hmm. like I was like the weak one that they would just pick on and pick on and pick on and pick on um, at the bus stop on the bus. And yeah, I'm not sure why. I guess because I was the weak one. and then, so I snuck out with some friends trying to, you know, to, to fit in kind of thing, trying to yeah. be cool. Yep. And at the party um, was raped um, and told people about it, not my parents, but I told like friends about it. Nobody believed me because the boy that did it was very popular. And why would he have to do that to me? You know, kind of thing. Um, when I was a nobody and he was popular, um, I told it to the youth pastor at my church. And she said, well, if you'd never snuck out and gone to that party, that would have never happened. And so blamed it on me. Um, out. This yeah. is the worst, the worst thing ever yes. yeah. people it, can tell you. It was pretty terrible. 
Um, and so that just, you know, added mm-hmm. and added and added. And, you know, I'm a teenage, young teenager, which everybody's insecure and you add all of that to it. Mm-hmm. And so that led me down, it quickly led me down a path of destruction, you know, started, I became very promiscuous. Um, and then at 15, I found out that I was pregnant and that led me to have my first abortion. Um, and that was a very marked change, um, probably affected me more than anything else. I walked into the clinic, a straight A student, nationally ranked tennis player, um, going to church every time the doors opened, you know, and when I walked out, I didn't want anything to do with God. I quit playing tennis and I barely ended up graduating high school. Um, I had early acceptance to University of Georgia, um, Mm -hmm. thankfully, or I probably would not have gone somewhere because my grades just absolutely plummeted. And started, you know, drinking, started doing drugs, started all of the things just um, compiled. Um, So it was, you know, although I had a good home, there were outside factors, you know, that affected me. I resonate with your story so much. Yeah. Firstly, my my first abortion was at 15. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had to grow up so fast. Yeah. It's it's a thing. Um, Fifteen years old, we are still a child. Like we are still children. You, I remember when I opened up, what's happened to me? People, people started to judging me. Yeah. At fifteen, you 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 are like mature to understand what was happening to you. Why didn't you, uh, you know, tell anyone? Why didn't you fight back? But now I'm realizing I was conditioned when my yeah. stepfather first first uh, sexually abused me. I was conditioned to to obey, sure. so I I I freeze. And having the abortion at 15 is a quite traumatizing event itself. Yeah, and I understand why you turned turned away from God. Yeah. You know, you think 15 in some ways you think 15, you think, well, gosh, you're a teenager. You're almost 18, you know, like, but I have children who are, I have a son who's 14 and a daughter who's 13. And I think like now I'm like, gosh, when I was their age, this was happening. And I think, how did I even survive it? You know, because they are still, I mean, and my children have grown up in in a home that's pretty conservative, you know, that's pretty sheltered in some ways. And I think, gosh, I was them. And how did I get through it? How did I survive that? You know, and, and to think that leaders and adults put it back on me at that Mm -hmm. point, you know, it, it really, it makes me angry. It makes me angry that that they did that and treated me that way. And it makes me concerned for my kids, you know, hoping that they're not going to go through the same kind of things that I went through because you're still so young, you know, that's so, it's so young to have to deal with anything like that. Kelly, now when you are a parent, when you understand Mm -hmm. uh, from, when you can see the situation from both perspectives, what would be your best advice for parents who are going through a similar situation with their kids. What What is the best thing to say? What is the best uh, thing to do for their kids? Yeah, people ask me that a lot. Like, what, 
and my parents have even asked me, you know, what could we have done differently? You know, people say, what are you going to do differently? And, you know, my parents did the best that they could. They both came from broken homes and, you know, issues in their families. And so they really did the best that they could. But I think the big thing is we have to be, we have to build relationships with our children. You know, we have to, I don't mean you have to be their best friend because you need to be their parents. I'm definitely not one who thinks, you know, we should be our kid's best friend, but we do need to know our kids and we do need to be aware. And like, I look and my parents, there were a lot of red flags that they missed. And that was because they were busy working and trying to give us, you know, a better life than they had. Or that was because they were busy, you know, everything was like go and do and not a lot of like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. I see this change in you what's going on. Or if there was a change, it was like, you can't wear that. You can't do that. You can't go there. You know, instead of like, Hey, I see this going on. Do you just like white, black now? Like all of a sudden, did you just like, or is there something going on that's making you, you know, want to do this? You know, and I think for a lot of parents, unfortunately, they start the relationship when they see these red flags. It's like, oh gosh, now I need to have a relationship with my child, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's too late. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, whereas you want to start early, being a safe place. I, I say, my husband and I talk about we want our home to be a safe place for them to fail, and so we don't want it to be where you have to be perfect all the time, or you have to, you know. Yes, we want you to excel, and we want you to do your best and be your best. But I want you to screw up when you're here, so we can talk through it and work through it, and know you know that we're going to love you even if you screwed up. I mean. I was so afraid to tell my parents what had happened to me because I thought they would be disappointed in me. Yeah. And, you know, That's I the thought, key. Mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that they would never forgive me and, you know, all of these kinds of things. And so instead of telling them what had happened, I kept it in and it piled up and got worse and worse, you know? And then when I did start failing, they got upset. And so it just further like reinforced what I was already thinking. So we have, tried with my kids, our kids to really not have it be that way, you know, to take them out and be like, you know, with my 13 and my 14 year old, Hey, I see this going on with you. I see this happening. You know, what's going on? You know, why is this happening? Why are you doing these things? Why are, how is school? How's your friends? How, you know, and having those conversations because kids, especially nowadays, they don't have anybody talking to them. You know, they don't have anybody checking on them. Um, and so really just trying to be in tune with them and know them, like, what are their love languages? You know, what are their personality types? Are they an Enneagram three or an Enneagram eight, you know, like figure out about your kids, um, study your kids. I had somebody tell me that one time, like you should study your spouse and study your children. Um, so that when those Mm -hmm. things happen, you can be aware of it. Uh, what's happened with me, uh, uh, when I told my mom what uh, what my stepfather was doing to me, she said, "I'm so so sorry." Yeah, I knew it. Mm. I knew, and the person who um, who created created to kill for her child if anything happens just looked away. Uh, and I know it's not easy for some parents to to realize uh, what's happening to their kids because they just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And the same with abortion. I told my mom that I had an abortion. 
uh, the second one mm-hmm. in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not when it happened. And I didn't tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. Kelly, I'm just wondering how much of your story, of your past, do your kids know about you? So my oldest, so I have six. Um, I have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, 11-year-old, 13-year-old, and a 14-year-old. Um, my oldest four know good bit of it. Um, when when I started becoming more public and started, you know, my story came more out there. When you could do a Google search and find my story, I was like, okay, it's time to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have shared it with them. My younger two don't know much of it at all. But yeah, we've talked about it. And that's been a really great, me sharing my story with them has been a great way to kind of open conversation with them mm-hmm. um, because they know that I get it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not telling them things just as this like mean, I don't want you to have fun. I don't, I'm, I'm telling you things because I've actually been there and actually done it and experienced it and want what's best for you and don't want you to have to go through that. And you can't lie to me because I've been there and, and <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's been, it's been really, it was hard, you know, and of course you're afraid, like, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? You know, is this going to change their perspective of me? And they had so much grace and like, were so compassionate. Um, and so like, you know, for them, because of what I do traveling and speaking and, you know, knowing what I've done, they were like, mom, you have to do what you do yeah. because you've been on all sides of it. So you have to, so it like gave them reason for me, for why I do what I do. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was great because it cost, you know, my job, what I do, it costs them something mom's on the road a lot. And um, you know, so they don't get to spend time with me like some kids do with their moms. So it helped them kind of process that. And I'm sure it made your relationship stronger, much stronger. Yeah, it did for sure. When I opened up to my mom and we talked through, it was a huge shock for her, Mm. huge. But I've noticed that me opening up helped her to start her own healing journey. Yeah. Because she had a lot of unresolved trauma from mm-hmm. her childhood and from her growing up. Mm-hmm. What were your relationship like with your parents? Did they find out about anything? So they, I think that they suspected some things, um, but I was a runner. So when, when my dad would say he would know when things were not going well with me, cause he wouldn't hear from me for a few days or a few weeks. Um, I, ran, I hid, you know, Mm. I, I did everything I could to put on a good face of everything's going well. Um, I, I'm sure that they had some suspicions, but nothing that they ever brought up. Um, they didn't hear my full story until gosh, it was probably 10 years ago. Um, so it, was a long time before they heard. And and then when they heard it, it wasn't like anything was like, <gasps> you know, we had no idea. I think it was some comp now, maybe not the number of abortions, maybe not the extensiveness of some of it, but it definitely wasn't a complete shock to them. Um, and at the time when I was going through all of my craziness, my sister, who was four years younger than me, 
was also going through craziness. And so a lot of their attention, simply because of age, because Mm -hmm. she was 14 and I was 18, you know, a lot of their focus was on her. And again, I'd put on a good face. I made it seem like everything was okay. And so it was, they were kind of, um, you know, split in their ability to, um, and she got pregnant at a very young age and had a child. And so then now they have a child. So, you know what I mean? It was kind of, she was kind of a distraction from me um, and from what was going on. Um, But I had a, I would say that I had a good relationship with them. Um, I talked to them pretty regularly and now have a great relationship with them. I mean, my dad passed away a little over a year ago. Um, but up until that, you know, had a really good relationship with them. And my mom, my mom was here yesterday, in fact, um, have a, have a great relationship with her. Wonderful. Yeah. Kelly, if you would have an opportunity to go back to your 15 years old self mm-hmm. when you just got pregnant, mm-hmm. what would you do differently? You know, that is a really tough question. <laughs> Because at the time, I didn't know that there were, and and to be honest with you, at that time, I don't know that there were resources to help me, Mm -hmm. you know, like now, nowadays, gosh, it's 30 years later, you know, there are resources for young unwed mothers. There are programs for you to continue in high school and graduate. There are programs for you to go to college and people to help you, you know, stay in college. There are pregnancy resource centers that help with, you know, counseling and parenting classes. And when I was 15, I don't know that any of those things were there. Um, And so. Neither for me. Yeah. While I would love to say to me as a 15 year old, don't do this. You know, there's other options out there. There really weren't other options out there. Um, And so I would definitely want to have answers for 15 year old me. You know, I would want to have someone to come alongside her and say, Hey, I'm going to walk with you and help you through this um, because I didn't have that. Um, And thankfully, again, Thankfully, nowadays we have those things, you know, nowadays there are a lot more organizations. I work for one of them, you know, that helps women in crisis. And um, there are a lot more maternity homes and there's just a lot more out there. But I would tell her, I think, back to the answer the question as best I can, that you think that having this child is going to ruin your life but you're going to go down a path that's going to be far more destructive than having a child would be. And, you know, hopefully then I could give her a resource that could help her, but it's hard. You know, it's definitely women and young girls in those situations. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy, you know, we like to make it so black and white and it's not, it's, it's really, it's really hard. It's a really hard thing. Thank you for answering this question. And yeah. for answering so beautifully, <laughs> because I feel like if I would have an opportunity to talk to my 15 years old self, mm-hmm. I would stop her from doing this. Yeah. And, you know, if I only knew what would be the consequences, 16 consecutive miscarriages, right. <laughs> including two ectopic pregnancies, right. I would 
I would leave this child. But at those point, I remember myself, what people will think. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm still at school. I, I have to go to university. Like what my mom will think of me. Mm -hmm. I wish I wish I would have such a relationship where where I would come and say, Mom, this and this happened. I need your help. Mm -hmm. Kelly, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Kelly Lester. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower or how to connect with me best, go to annaditchburn.com. This journey isn't possible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.